My radio station. Your radio station. Our radio station. The voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum. A very good evening. Welcome back. Questions and answers with uh, Sheikh Ibrahim Wilson. We're taking your SMSs. I'm Khawa Salomon and I'll be with you for the next hour, inshallah, on this beautiful Saturday evening. Shukran for joining us and, and a warm welcome to all our, our listeners and uh, a very good evening to you as well. With me answering your questions as we received some uh, via email, some via SMS and some via our fax mode. And uh, you can also post them on our Facebook page uh, uh, if you're listening to us across the lands and over the seas, that is called The Voice of the Cape. Like it and post your question to Zadina Jacobs or questions and answers for Sheikh Ibrahim Wes. So our SMS lines are open on 47913. Our uh, email is vocfm, info at vocfm.co.za. And you can also call our reception just to check the other details, 021 and uh, what was the other mode? Oh, fax, 021 Let's welcome our guest once again. Assalamu alaikum to you, Sheikh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Sister Hawa, and to all our listeners of the Voice of the Cape. So, Sheikh, let's get into our SMSs and questions we've received today. I see there, there are some repeats, so inshallah. Um, for those, again, that has been patient awaiting the answer for those questions, big shukran and thank you to you. Assalamu alaikum. A non-Muslim mother who whose children, um, all her children, in fact, embraced Islam, can they inherit from the mother, this non-Muslim mother, when she passes away? Shukran. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa afdalu salatu wa tammu taslim ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. The uh, topic of inheritance and how the laws of inheritance work, etc., um, is something that has been clearly spelled out to us and clearly demarcated what laws to follow and what procedures to, to follow, etc. Uh, in Surah An-Nisa, Allah Ta'ala in detail lays down the, the rules for the distribution of the estate. Um, this particular question with regards to um, difference of religion, um, there are certain things that would prevent a person from inheriting in in terms of these laws of, of succession. There are certain things that would simply bar a person from inheriting. Hmm. Uh, one such thing is, uh, for example, if a an heir decides to kill or to murder his own testator, the one that he's supposed to inherit from, then automatically he will be screened from that inheritance. Hmm. And this is an interesting law because it safeguards that somebody does not you know, uh, in a hurry, want to take his inheritance before its time. Mm. So if that happens, that the murderer of that particular testator will actually be barred and screened from the inheritance. Mm. Then one of the things that is also mentioned clearly in the hadith of the Prophet wasallam is the matter of a difference in religion. Um, we cannot uh, inherit from non-Muslims and non-Muslims cannot inherit from us. This is how the laws work of succession. And this hadith is, is crystal clear. It's a hadith narrated by Usama ibn Zayd, and it is found in the books of Imam Bukhari and Muslim, so it is highly authentic, um, where the Prophet ﷺ clearly spells out, and he says, لا يرث المسلم الكافر ولا يرث الكافر المسلم. The Muslim will not inherit from a non-Muslim, and a non-Muslim will not inherit from a Muslim. Okay. So that is quite clear and that's why we find that all the madhabs, the four madhabs, Shafi'i, Hanafi, Malika and Hanbali, they agree on the fact that there shall be no inheritance between Muslims and non-Muslims. So in such a case, this woman, her own children will not inherit from her. Hmm. Although if she has her own family, obviously extended family, her own sisters or cousins or aunts, they will inherit from her those who share the same faith as her. Okay. They will they will inherit, but her Muslim children will not be able to inherit from her. Of course, she is also in a lifetime able to give to them if she wanted to mm. give to them whatever she wanted to. Then that is also permissible, obviously, to accept gifts from non-Muslims is no problem. Um, but just the laws of inheritance work as such that there must be a common ground in terms of religion uh, before inheritance can be claimed in that particular way. Shukran, Shukran, for cleaning that up. All right, so the next SMS is, what about going to the church? I think uh, Sheikh discuss, discussed this a week or two ago, and this SMS probably came up at during the time um, when Sheikh was answering that question. So it's uh, with regards to about participating in the rituals for worship, um, read the funeral of a relative, attending a funeral of a relative. Yeah, I think uh, I remember discussing this issue and saying that uh, you know if one wanted to be present at a funeral funeral, 
uh, of a non-Muslim, there is nothing that stops you from that. Mm. You can be present, you can show your respect, or you can show your condolences. There's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. Mm. And we, we said, yes, uh, you have to obviously, in terms of if there's any rituals that they will perform, you will not actively participate in that. Because obviously it's it's not something that that you would do. Um, uh, I think the question then uh, latches onto that. What if it is in a church, for example? Can you still go? The issue of church obviously is a, is a separate issue. Uh, when I spoke about it, I did not mention where. I mean, it can mm. be at the house. It can be you can pay your respect before the proceedings, you know, before they leave to the church, for example. Okay. But now the question is, can you actually enter a church? Um, if these things happen mm. There is obviously difference of opinion Amongst our scholars Whether we are allowed to enter a church in the first place And it seems that the majority says There is no issue mm. There is no issue for us to, to enter a church um, Because we're not going there to, 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 to worship We're not there to, to, to do what uh, What people of the church will be doing mm -hmm. But to pay your respect etc The majority of scholars say That uh, there is no uh, issue about it as long as you are able to obviously protect your own deen and faith and, and, and not do something that is untoward or unacceptable in terms of Islamic law, etc. There is no issue in that at all. Uh, although I would say, because there's a difference of opinion, there are some that say, no, you shouldn't enter because of other reasons. You know, there's, there's other things that is to be found in the church. There's, for example, statues. Um, and statues is something that we don't obviously ascribe to and so on. Um, so many scholars uh, also feel that you should not enter mm. um, a church for that matter. Because of the symbols uh, for, around you. Yes, yes. Mm. So, so I think for me the middle ground would be to say that, look, if there's no need for you to enter, and rather give, pay your respect at home, or sometimes what they do is they would have the viewing of, of, of the deceased um, in the hall or in a reception area mm. before they actually take it into the jail. They do that sometimes. Okay. So if you can do that, it will obviously be okay. Uh, if it's at home, it will also be okay. Mm. Um, because the least we can say is it's probably disliked or it's probably um, not something that we would actively want to uh, do without a uh, very strong reason mm. to enter into a church and to be part when they actually do their procedures mm. there. Um, so there is, like I said, this difference of opinion that exists. Um, in fact, I found that the madhab of, of Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal is quite lenient as far as this is concerned, where they say there is no issue at all for, the, for a person to enter and so on. Whereas other madhahib again feel strongly that uh, perhaps we shouldn't enter if there is mm. other kinds of distractions and things in there. So uh, I would say just, you know, in terms of ideal, ideally, if, if you can do without it, it would be better. Mm. But if really you didn't get the chance to actually show the family your condol condolences, then nothing would um, stop you from going there. Uh, based on the views of those who say that it is permissible as long as you obviously understand or, or what you are going there for and you are not obviously going to um, uh, transgress or do anything that is untoward that, that one should not do in that particular circumstance. There's always more to, to, uh, um, to an answer than what, what one thinks. Okay, so more of your SMSs after the short break, so stay with us. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, the voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum, a very good evening. Welcome back. Questions and answers with uh, Sheikh Ibrahim Wurson. We're taking your SMSs, your faxes, your emails, and um, also some um, uh, Facebook messages as well on um, on the Voice of the Cape Facebook page. So SMS line four seven nine one three, and you can call our office number zero two one double four two three five hundred for the other contact details. All right. So the next SMS we've received is Salam. Is it permissible for a grandmother to share bed with her granddaughter? She is eleven years old. The uh, issue of um, sleeping in the same quarters or in the in the same bed as another person. Um, there, there is obviously some guidelines as far as this is concerned. We know that the Prophet wasallam said that even your children, when they reach the age of 10, mm -hmm. that we should uh, differentiate in terms of where they are going to sleep. We should make a special quarters for, uh, for our children, and mm -hmm. they should not necessarily sleep together in one bed. Um, this is obviously to teach our kids that uh, we have modesty and we have obviously um, uh, our own kind of uh, way of looking at these things where we want to inculcate uh, from a very early age the respect that the child should have for another person and not looking at perhaps uh, parts of his body that is not... Uh, that is not permissible or that is not um, recommended or that is not conducive, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. So in terms of now, this question obviously now refers to uh, an adult person 
um, with a family member. You know, is that allowed? Well, if the gender is the same, then of course there is there, there is not a, a big problem with it, mm-hmm. right? If the gender is the same, as long as they and I, I, this is the point that I would probably want to stress, as long as they are covered uh, appropriately, mm-hmm. right? So you don't want them to to sleep uh, without any clothing, for example, mm-hmm. or be or be almost naked and then be in the same bed. That obviously would not be permissible. But if they are uh, obviously uh, dressed appropriately, they've got pajamas on and so on, and there's no skin contact really between the two, then there there, there is no issue as far as that is concerned. Um, Because here, obviously, it is an adult person with a a minor, and it's also mahram relationship, it's family relationship, and so on. So there is no issue as far as that is concerned. Um, Obviously, when it comes to uh, grown-ups with one another, like brother and sister, for example, that grows up, and especially if it is the opposite gender and so on, then we are a bit more cautious. Then we say, no, it's best for them to sleep in their own separate quarters mm-hmm. and not to sleep in the same bed and so on and so forth. So uh, these are all things that is uh, obviously instituted for the protection of, of ourselves and to, to, to guide us, you know, in terms of how. Because when a person sleeps, and I think it's, it's also for practical reasons, because when you sleep, uh, you, you're not fully aware of what you are doing. You're not fully conscious of what is happening around you. So you may just be in a situation where, you know, something untoward, maybe your clothing uh, comes off or whatever the case may be. So that is why it is uh, necessary that we take the necessary precautions as far as this is concerned. So uh, as long as there is adequate covering, I would say, mm-hmm. between granddaughter and grandmother, uh, there should not be any problem at all for them to, uh, to, to sleep in that particular way, inshallah. Shukran. Uh, Salams, please tell us if people who use jinn to harm others, are they even Muslims? Yeah, the, the, the question of jinn is, is something, unfortunately, that um, is to be found in all societies and communities. And yes, we, we do find people that actually, um, you know, uh, do these, what we would call in Afrikaans, fail work, you know, they do mm. fail work, they do certain things to harm others and so on. And obviously it's haram to do that. I mean, one should not uh, engage in any uh, activities that would harm another person. You know, la darar wa la dirar. There's a hadith that says there should never be harm. You know, we should try to avert harm as far as we can to ourselves, to others, to those around us, and so on. And uh, Allah Taala actually mentions in the Quran this whole chapter that speaks about the jinn. You know, it is called Suratul Jinn. Hmm. And in this chapter, Allah Taala says that there are amongst people, you know, that seek refuge with the jinn. You know, they sort of befriend the jinn and they seek refuge. So it's something that's quite real. It can happen. And we, we, we do find this. And, and obviously, um, Allah Ta'ala mentions in this verse, in fact, when he says, وَأَنَّهُ كَانَ رِجَالٌ مِّنَ الْإِنسِ يَعُوذُونَ بِرِجَالٍ مِّنَ الْجِنِّ فَزَادُوهُمْ رَهَقًا That when they actually seek refuge in the jinn, the jinn only increase them in the wrongdoing that they are doing. Mm-hmm. The jinn actually help them in the wrongdoing that they are doing. So it is haram to, to engage in these kinds of things and activities. Um, and uh, yes, we should always protect ourselves against these things and uh, alhamdulillah we have been given adequate information and knowledge on this with the Prophet ﷺ taught us how we should go about our Quran also is there you know certain ayah that we know is very powerful mm-hmm. for the protection against these things ayatul kursi for example to recite regularly to recite the three kuls regularly to recite the last part of suratul baqarah regularly all these things that we recite normally in the dhikr that we make in the haddad mm-hmm. is very very powerful when it comes to protecting ourselves and uh, many scholars have also said that, you know, if you recite, and this is taken from the ahadith, that if you were to recite uh, in the mornings at least uh, Surah Yasin, for example, if you can. Surah Yasin is also a very, very big protect, protective mechanism for a person during the daytime. And if you recite it during the night, it's a protective mecha- mechanism for the entire night that he sleeps or he goes to bed and he retreats and so on. So... Uh, so while these things are around and we should be careful and we should not try to sort of engage in, in these things, we should try to steer clear, stay clear from these kinds of activities. Um, they are real, they are there, but at the same time it's also real that Allah Ta'ala helps us. I mean, He protects us from these things as far as, as long as we are obviously willing to do uh, what is right. So uh, we say to people, please do, do protect yourself um, and do try to frequent places of goodness, you know, places that, are, that is pure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll find that the masajid, for example, the places where dhikr is conducted and so on, those are places, alhamdulillah, that you normally feel contented. 
that you normally feel that you can uh, be at ease, you know. So try to, we always try to frequent these places. Mm. And yes, the, the question actually, I mean, is the person Muslim that is doing this? Mm. Well, we don't know. We can't say, you know, what intentions the person is doing this. Um, is it somebody that has, uh, you know, actually forsake this deen in order to, we don't know mm. all those details, but the point is that it is something which is quite dangerous. It is something which can affect you. But at the same time, we should not let our minds run away and think that everything is now going to be a jinn. And I think that's also a, a issue. Sometimes we become psychological at every little thing that goes wrong. We think it's a jinn. Mm. Or we think our, we are afflicted. We shouldn't be paranoid about it. Although it is there, we know it's real. Uh, but we should be confident that, alhamdulillah, we are able to protect ourselves uh, to the best of our ability. Is, is it what comes up for me, Sheikh, is when they ask, are, are they even Muslim? So, so what I think about, you know, is it a form of shirk? Yeah, it could, it could be. It could be um, if a person, for example, uh, seeks the help of a jinn, uh, thinking that the jinn will help. And not really Allah will help. Okay. That is obviously shirk. I mean, nobody's going to disagree with you mm. that only Allah helps, you know. Only Allah is the one that gives and takes. So it depends how the person, what is his, you know, okay. belief when mm. he does it or when he engages. And that is why I say we can't just say, we can't just make yes, a statement. We have to obviously it, know yeah. what the person is mm. doing. And, uh, because it may be Nabi Sulaiman, for example, he had certain jinn under his control. But mm. that doesn't mean that he, he used it for bad things. I mm. mean, they were in his service, you know, they served him. Uh, the Quran is, is full of this uh, sto- stories, Nabi Sulaiman, interesting mm. stories. How when, I mean, I don't want to go into detail, it will take a lot of time. But when, uh, would be nice to uh, when Nabi Sulaiman actually said, who will bring the throne of Bilqis, you know, mm. Queen of Sheba, who will bring in the, the, the throne? And so the first one to respond was actually a jinn, mm. you know, qala ifritun min al-jinn, as Allah says in Surah An-Naml. And if you want to read more on this, read the chapter of the ant. In the Quran, chapter of the end, it speaks about the whole story of Nabi Sulaiman. And the first one to respond was a jinn. The jinn said, I can bring it to you before you actually stand up from this gathering. Hmm. You will see that the throne is here. And then, uh, obviously, there was another person who was a pious man, although he was a human being, but he was a pious man. And he challenged that. He said, No, I can bring it quicker than that. He says, I will bring it to you, O Nabi Sulaiman, even when, when, you, when you blink your eye. When you close your eye, you open it, it will be there. And Allah gave him that power, Allah gave him that miracle, you know, to be able to fetch it from such a vast distance. Mm. Uh, the point being here is that the jinn, you know, they served Nabi Sulaiman, they mm. were under his command and so on. So we can't just say Muslim or not Muslim. Okay. So we must be careful. There may be people that, that don't use it for the wrong things. Or, But generally speaking, we should not uh, entertain these kinds of things. We okay. should stay, say clear and we should uh, rather seek protection from it. We should rather protect ourselves from it. By reciting, by doing the right thing, by not. I remember even the old people, they always tell you, don't come home too much, you know, at night late. Mm, After Maghrib. Maghrib Mm. sometimes, and sometimes if they say after midnight and so on. Mm. Because it makes sense. At night is actually the time when when it's dark and it's quiet and it's, uh, you know, people are retreating. It is most likely those times that the jinn are also loose, you know, mm. that they are able to come, they come out more, or they are more free to, to move around and they're more comfortable and so on. So there's hikmah in that also. I remember one of the shuyukh, you know, some time back, he actually diagnosed someone that was uh, afflicted mm. uh, by, by something which they didn't know what it was. And the sheikh said, you know, they asked the question, what time does this child come at home, you know? I mm. mean, he says, well, unfortunately, she is someone that likes to party and come home late at night and mm. stuff like that. They said, that's, that's your answer, you know, if, if she's stopped doing that, you will see the thing will also stop. Because if you frequent places that are already wrong and, and mm. stuff and at the wrong times, obviously it may affect you. So we seek protection from Allah against these things and we try our best to, to do what is right and, and to stay on the straight path, to re- recite Quran, you know, make your salah on time and all this, inshallah. All of that will be sufficient and adequate protection for us against these forces. I mean, Sheikh, I know this is not a show now to, to delve into the, the jinn question, but it's interesting that Sheikh is saying, you know, let's, let us rather empower ourselves with, you know, dhikr. But now at the same breath, do we teach ourselves, and Sheikh's mentioned that there, there, is, a, um, there is a surah, uh, even in the Quran, so Allah talks about the jinn. So does that mean that we should be teaching ourselves, like the little examples that Sheikh gave, about jinn, and our children, or should we not even think about them to steer away from them? No, no, of course, education and empowering yourself is always useful and okay. it's always beneficial. Um, and, it, and it's there, whether, you, whether you're going to mention it or not, people, other people will mention it and you will okay. come to hear about it. So it's best to have the, the proper information about okay. it. You know? So we don't, for example, some people reject it. They say there's no such thing as mm. jinn. 
Oh, that's they don't also, see it, then yeah, we like, can't see it. How do we know? And mm. so on. Well, if that is the case, there's many other things we don't see either. I mean, mm. we don't see the malaika, we don't see, but we believe it's part of our iman. We have to believe in it, mm. you know. Or malaikati wa kutubi, as the articles of faith spells out to us. So, jinn is the same thing. We can't see it, but we have to believe in it because there's a surah in the Quran, there's incidents that is recorded in, in our history of the Prophet that he definitely met the jinn and he said, recite Quran for them, you know. In fact, at the beginning of the, the, the surah of Surah Al-Jinn, uh, Allah Ta'ala makes a remark by saying that the jinn said when they heard the Qur'an, they said, Inna sami'na Qur'anan ajaba. Uh, we heard the Qur'an that is like really strange, you know, the, the, the way the beauty and the eloquence of this book that we heard was something different that we didn't hear before. This was the remark of the jinn when they heard the Qur'an being recited to them by the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And, 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 and they are creation like us. They are created, you know, with a purpose. They also have uh, to believe in Allah. They also have to submit to His laws. They also have their own protocol to follow. And there are some of them that rebel the same as human being, beings rebel and so on. So they also will be, will be held accountable by Allah Ta'ala, you know. And, and doesn't Allah says in the Quran, وَمَا خَلَقَتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ We recite that ayah so much, you know, so many times. Have, I did not create the jinn and the ins except that they are there to worship me. Hmm. That's a well-known verse that we all recite. So the jinn is there, you know, you can't wish it away or you can't say it does not exist because that means you would be rejecting the Qur'an. Yes. So I, I agree with you that we have to empower ourselves okay. and our children and so on, but to the limit that is necessary. Okay. We should not, I, I wouldn't advise for small children to speak to, the, to them about the jinn all the time mm-hmm. because it become a problem. They will have sleepless nights and they won't yes. be able to. So we tell to, to them to the extent that is necessary for them mm. to know. And you will feel it, yeah. Yeah, so at mm. least you know that they know about it. Mm. Uh, and that's it, you know. Other than that, we just uh, steer clear and we protect ourselves. Inshallah. Okay. More of your SMSs after this break, so stay with us. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, the voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum. Questions and answers is the name of the show, and uh, we'll be with you right up until seven o'clock. So do send your SMSs, and I'm sure there's going to be lots of questions after that discussion of um, that question mark question of uh, you know the gent. So shukran so much for those who had uh, patiently w- awaited the answer to that question. We move on to our next. Assalamu alaikum. I just want to find out what must I do if my mother-in-law only knows me and her son when she needs money to lend but she never has a plate of food for us uh, for me or her son only for her other kids like she only sees me and her son when she is in need of something and we are married nine years and have three kids alhamdulillah yeah so what to do um, in, in this situation uh, what to do uh, I, and think I know Sheikh has spoken about favoring kids one or the other yes definitely definitely there's a number of issues here I mean the, the mother-in-law how to deal with that the issue okay. of uh, not receiving from her how to deal with that the issue of the kids mm. so there's a few issues and I would say that you know it, it all boils down to our human relations that we have mm. with people and how are we going to respond to um, sometimes you know upheavals in those relations Mm. Um, people treat us badly are we going to treat them equally bad or are we going to try to fix the situation are we going to try to encourage people to to change in Mm. in, in the way that we deal with them this is ultimately what it comes down to and we've been created by Allah Ta'ala as human beings that are social Mm. beings you know we we interact with others and uh, uh, by virtue of the way that you interact with others that is most probably how your relationships will 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 develop Mm. you know um, you'll find somebody that has a spontaneous beautiful character people just come and they, they sort of just click and latch onto such mm-hmm. a person where somebody that is harsh and somebody that is with a bad character and so on people mm-hmm. are, are averse to this kind of thing you you won't find and there's a hadith that actually say you know you'll find that people that are similar in souls in terms of how they are in the spirit mm-hmm. you'll find that they click together we normally say birds of a feather flock together mm-hmm. for example you know, um, there's a hadith that have those very similar meanings. So I would say yeah, that, yes, it is an issue for, for, for me that your mother-in-law is not treating you well. Um, and it's unfortunate that she is treating you in this way. It should not be. And, and mother-in-law, mothers-in-law, sometimes I think they do kind of uh, look down, you know, on, on their daughter-in-law, daughters-in-law somehow. Uh, always thinking that, you know, it's my son that's important, but not really the wife. Mm. I mean, this is quite common, and it's it's wrong. It's it's plainly wrong. It's not it's not it's not the right thing to do. Um, but for me now is how are you going to deal with it? Mm. That is that is the question. 
Um, and I think the only thing that I often repeat is, you know, we can we can give advice with with with, with hikmah and we can try. But for me, the best is always, you know, our character should define who we are, you know, and we should not allow other people to define our character for us. Our own character should define who we are. We decide that, you know. And I think that you should try your best to, to be kind to her, even if she is borrowing money, even if she, you know. And if you don't have, politely tell her you don't have. Mm. And if you have an issue with her, politely speak to her about it. You know, don't raise your voice with her, for example. Mm. Or don't show that you can also be nasty. Or don't show that. Don't do that. I mean, try your best to show that you will still reach out to her, although she's doing all these things. You know, and yes, some some people it takes a very long time for them to change, mm. and you sometimes feel, why should I do it? Why should I be the one? Um, and I often say, you know, that uh, we we take our cue only from our Prophet sallallahu We don't take our cue from anyone else. And he had this character of always wanting uh, to see a change in people, even if it's going to take a long time to to work with them to see that they change. So this is perhaps what what we should do, and yes, you feel you you feel if you feel this ba- this bad feeling, why is it that she only comes to me when when she needs me? Mm-hmm. If you feel like that, turn to Allah, you know, make du'a and make salah, you know, ask Allah to put contentment in your heart, because after all, if you are able to help her in any way, even if she treats you badly, you still get the reward, mm-hmm. and you still get the goodness from Allah coming to you, regardless of what she is doing. You know, and it's wrong. Like you mentioned, this point of the children, it's wrong that she that she uh, favors some of the grandchildren and not the others. She will be uh, held accountable for that. Hmm. But again, what do I do? Because she's doing that, do I show to her that I'll keep my children away from her now, or hmm. I'll do something in return? That is not going to solve anything. Right? That may just make things worse. And. I know it takes a lot. I mean, I'm asking for a lot here. I know that. <laughs> it's not easy. These relationships are very cumbersome sometimes. Yeah, because you want to take her as your own mother. Yeah, it's difficult. You And you sometimes the, the, the daughters-in-law, they try their best. They go out, you know, out of their way to, to make the mother, mother-in-law comfortable or to have a comfortable relationship. Mm. But somehow it's just it doesn't happen. It doesn't work. Like I said before, sometimes it's almost like when people get married, it's almost like it must be like that. It's impossible for a mother-in-law mm. and a daughter-in-law to to have a normal relationship. But I think we should change that. We, we should change that mindset. It doesn't have to be like that. Um, and yes, there the, the will most likely be disagreements. There will most likely be things that we don't like and so on that we need to deal with and compromise and sort of think about carefully and so on. And that's what life is about after all. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not only with mothers-in-law. It's with everyone like yeah. that. With all your relationships, uh, relationships, it's like that. There's going to be times where, where you are going to be challenged mm-hmm. or we are going to be throw, thrown a curveball. Mm-hmm. So how do you react? So for me, always just go back to the prophetic character, the akhlaq of the Prophet mm-hmm. You'll always be safe, mm-hmm. you know, and you'll always feel, feel good uh, by yourself. Because if you're going to stress all the time of her, then it affects you also. Mm-hmm. But if you keep on... You know, and and turn to Allah all the time, to keep you strong, to keep your heart pr- pure, and to keep you on the straight path, and to keep you as kind as you are. Mm. If you have been helping her, help her as much as you can if she needs that help. You you won't lose at all yeah. in this process. You will only gain. You will only win. Mm. If not in the dunya, then certainly in the akhirah. You know, if not in the dunya, certainly in the akhirah. Mm. Remember, nothing goes unnoticed by Allah Ta'ala. He knows exactly what you are doing. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing all those kind things to your mother-in-law and she's giving you bad things in return and bad attitudes in return, Allah Ta'ala does not forget the goodness that you'll do. Mm-hmm. Inshallah, one day when you meet your creator, you'll be so surprised to see all your rewards that have piled up for you, for all the goods that you, uh, the good things that you've done. So that's all I can say, and yes, um, it's it's like I say, it's easy for me to say it from this side of mm. the mic, you know, you listening, and I'm not in that situation, you may think. And you're quite right, I, uh, who am I to say if I'm not in there? Mm. But I can only tell you what I think is suitable in terms of, you know, what the deen guides us and so on. And we hope, inshallah, that you will have the patience to carry on and to do as much, uh, to show as much kindness as you can. And hopefully one day, you know, uh, she will come around and she will realize how lucky she is mm-hmm. to actually have a daughter-in-law like yourself. But we make dua that Allah makes your, you know, your relationship easier and Allah Ta'ala amends the difficulties and, and repairs the difficulties that is there in front of you, for you and your kids, inshallah. Amen. Shukran, Sheikh. My children are on drugs and I am concerned that when I die, they will use my home as a drug den. 
Can I make a will stipulating that I do not want them to have the house until they can prove by medical test and rehab that they are drug free? Yes, certainly. The uh, normally the executor of the estate, it is his duty to see that the estate is distributed and is uh, given to the people that uh, deserve it, uh, with the conditions set out by the testator. Hmm. Of course, whilst the the children are definitely the heirs of their their parents, hmm. there is something called the administering of that estate or the administering of that funds. You don't give, for example, a small child uh, huge sums of money that they've inherited because hmm. they they simply can't deal with it yet. Right, so you administer their funds for them. So normally, the executor that is that is chosen should be obviously somebody that is upright and 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 somebody that is honest and that mm. knows how to to deal with this. And so in this case, there would be no no difficulty for you to make these kinds of stipulations because it would not make sense at all to give your children that are using drugs to give them a huge sum of money or to give mm. them estate because they will just squander it. They will just use it up in, on drugs. And now this concern that you have also that they may even turn your place into a drug den. Subhanallah. Look at look at how far this parent must mm. think already. I mean, she's already living through he or she. I'm not sure if it's a male or a female, but she's already, uh, uh, he's already living through this difficulty of having to deal with kids that take drugs in the mm. dunya the whole time, uh, perhaps uh, stressing them out. She, and now they're already thinking of what's going to happen when we're not there. Look at how much worry the children are giving mm. their parents. Look at how far they have to look. Thank you. You know, and it's so sad. It's not sad. It's sad because parents don't deserve that. Hmm. Parents don't deserve that kind of treatment. So, um, so if you want to do those things and you go see a lawyer to say that, look, I would like my state. To, that must go to them, but it, it must be when they are worthy of it. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that in the Sharia, because obviously uh, the Sharia says that you should not uh, do things that will have a bad or negative outcome. Mm. And in this day, it will definitely have a negative outcome if you just leave everything over to them. Like I say, they will squander or they will. So there was no, there's no issue. Uh, you should consult with uh, um, a, a lawyer together with an Islamic scholar mm. that can perhaps give you the way forward, how to map out your will. That is according to the Sharia laws, but at the same time, where you make sure that the administration of the estate will also be just uh, or will be at least uh, suitable and conducive mm-hmm. for your situation that you are in. And uh, there should not be any problem as far as that is concerned. What advice can I give a family member who wants to disclose that he has been sexually abused? His family has also not been supportive when he became an orphan and shoved the responsibility and also throwing their goodness in his face. How does one inform family and explain such a sensitive topic? Yeah, it's uh, something that I can't answer, obviously, sure. in two minutes, because it's quite a, a huge thing. Mm, um, but like we can give a few, uh, maybe, advice, points mm. of advice. And that is, I, I feel that uh, if coming out of a situation like this, you should first yourself go for counseling and mm. try to heal yourself first. Before you want to disclose to others, before you want to speak about it, you first need to come to terms with it within yourself Mm. so that you at least uh, are able to deal with your feelings and your emotions because it will always haunt you otherwise if you are not going to deal with it. So that will be my first uh, suggestion that you get professional help for yourself. Um, and thereafter, if you obviously want to disclose it to your, to someone and you want to speak about it, you obviously choose people that you know are able to listen to you. You know, don't don't go to people that are unsupportive, like you say. Mm-hmm. Go to people that are able to give you positive support and positive feedback on what you are saying and help, and that can guide you maybe further what to do. And and of course, uh, what you are mentioning in terms of your foster parents throwing uh, the goodness that they do into your face and so on. Uh, this is un-Islamic. I mean, we have to put this on the record that it's un-Islamic mm. to do good to someone and then expect that person to become our slave. Mm. You know, that is simply wrong. It's simply not on. Uh, in fact, in many verses of the Quran, Allah Ta'ala simply say, even if you give a sadaqah, you know, charity, don't think if you give a charity to someone that you now, you know, can harm him or hurt him or hurt his feelings or make him feel small. Because of what you gave. Allah Ta'ala says in Surah Al-Baqarah, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu la tubutilu sadaqatikum bilmanni waladha. Oh, you believe, oh, you who believe, do not nullify your charity by reminding people of your goodness and by causing injury to them. Reminding people, this is sometimes what people do. 
You know, didn't I give you this? Didn't I help you? Didn't I put food on the, on the table for you? Didn't I? We shouldn't do that. Because ultimately, if you're saying, didn't I, then it means you're quite arrogant because it wasn't you either. It was Allah. You know, it mm-hmm. wasn't you. Allah used you as an instrument to do it. <laughs> so it actually shows arrogance if you say it was me or it was I. It wasn't actually you. So Allah says here, if you give sadaqah, please don't, you know, cause injury to the person that you've given to. Please don't remind them. Don't make it that they are indebted to you, you know, because of what you've done. This is this is wrong. Mm-hmm. In another verse, Allah says, "Qawlun ma'roofun wa maghfiratun khayrun min sadaqatin yatba'uha adha." To speak a good word to someone and to forgive is better than giving a charity that is followed by injury. Mm-hmm. You know, you, we may think sometimes you give a charity, there's lots of reward in that, you know, and I'll get to, Allah will bless me because I've given charity. But if I've given that charity with the niyyah, that hopefully the charity will be a leeway for me to. So to subject people to my own little authority that I think I can give to myself, mm. then obviously it's better for you than not to give the charity. Rather than just give a good word to someone, instead of giving the charity and expect to become an authority over someone or to make that person feel small mm. or insignificant. So that's wrong what they are doing to you by throwing things in your face. Mm. Um, they shouldn't do that and somebody should advise them not to do that. But for you personally, I think you've gone through a very traumatic time in your life maybe with abuse and all that. And it's going to take time for you to heal. And, uh, and so I think you should work on yourself first, get your, your confidence back, get your, your healing process in order for, so that you can sort of be content with yourself mm. before you open it up to, to anyone else. And once you do, choose to open it up, choose people very carefully. Don't go to someone that you know is is not attuned attuned to or, or accustomed to, to to listen to things like mm-hmm. this that can support you. And inshallah, hopefully, if you do those things, you will be able to holistically look at your issue and move forward in life and and see how you can um, you know develop as a human being and and carry on your life, inshallah, and not put your past behind you. But at least deal with the fact that this has happened hmm. and I have to deal with it and carry on in the future. And make dua that Allah grants you, inshallah, all of the best and all other people that Amen. are affected by this kind of thing. It may be much more uh, much more than what we know hmm. because very often people, and this is precisely why the question comes out, people don't disclose it. Hmm. People are shy to speak about it. So there may be many other people that have uh, same similar experiences. Mm. So we hope, inshallah, Allah guide them and grant also contentment to their hearts um, in whatever direction they are going. Inshallah. Zakallah, Sheikh, for that answer. We take more of your SMSs after this short break. Shukran so much for staying with us. This is Questions and Answers. Stay with us. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, 91.3 FM and 95.8 FM stereo. Assalamu alaikum, welcome back. It is Questions and Answers. I'm Khawa Solomon. We've got about two more segments left to answer your questions on 47913. So please do keep them coming, your questions as well, and some we've received via email. So just contact our reception to get the, the correct email address. We'll speak to Zarina, our producer for the show. Right, the next question is, a foster daughter's biological father is still alive. She wants to get married and makes all the arrangements, now wants to go tell her father about her plans. She doesn't take advice when told, uh, when told her father she, when she told her father she, um, uh, told her father should be asked permission before wedding date is Finalized. She has a son from a previous relationship and no longer lives with her foster mother. So I think they're talking about the involvement and the extent of the involvement of the biological father, yeah, Sheikh. Yeah, I think the, the it's often the case where the child perhaps feel that the father wasn't really around um, to take care of me mm. and to see to my needs. So, so why should I bother? Why should I consult him? Mm. Um, and why? And while that is a reality, that uh, if a father was neglect, neglectful uh, or negligent with regards to the upbringing of his child, or not looking at the child's best interest, the child may feel like that. Mm-hmm. The child may feel that you know you've never been there, so I don't see the sense of now wanting to consult you on this particular matter. However, what we should understand is that. And yes, we should acknowledge that that can be a problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, we should acknowledge that the child may be experiencing those feelings. Okay, 
But um, what we should also then uh, try to look at, especially this, this, this young woman who's planning to get married, is that um, there, there are certain rules with regards to marriage. Mm. And one of it is simply that you need a guardian to obviously be uh, standing in your, as a, as a legal guardian, to actually marry you off to the person that you would wish to get married to. So that's what the rules of the, the deen says, you know. There will be no nikah. The, the hadith says, لا نكاح إلا بولي. There shall be no nikah except if there is a wali, if there is a guardian. Just like there will be no nikah if there is no witnesses, for example. Mm. Just like there will be no nikah if there is not a, what we would call a, uh, a, a formula of offer and acceptance. We know it must be done verbally and, you know, the one party will say, I, I marry you and the other one will say, I accept those are just the rules. The rules are such that there are certain things in place. And one of these things is that you need a wali. Okay, you cannot marry yourself. And in this case, if your biological father is um, available and he's alive, then obviously he should be the one to do that. Now, while I'm saying that, and I'm, I said at the beginning that, the, that she may have a feeling of rejection and so on, we shouldn't, uh, the two, I think we should try to look uh, at uh, separate things. Okay, and try to uh, bring a balance between this. Okay, so why don't we, I think what the family could do is why not speak to the father and try uh, for the father to sort of apologize to the daughter, first of all, for being negligent. Hmm. I think that's a good start. You know, apologize. If you, if you weren't around and you weren't there to help, apologize to her. Say to her that you're sorry. You made a mistake in your life. But you are prepared to make it right, nonetheless. And if that is, I think, uh, a starting point, then maybe uh, this daughter will also then see the, the, the hikmah in perhaps forgiving him, you know, because we all make mistakes. Maybe it was a, a part in his life where he just didn't know what was happening and he was a bit either foolish or whatever the case may be. There may be many reasons. So if he's prepared to do that, um, I think then she will perhaps also be prepared to forgive him and then see how the wedding plans can be set into motion. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say that while I respect perhaps the feeling of this daughter, if she's feeling like that, now obviously she didn't put all this in the question, but we are trying to read into the question as well. Okay, that's often what we need to do. We're mm -hmm. trying to read into the question. So if she's feeling these feelings, I think you should at least allow yourself to communicate with your father, biological father, speak to him and open up to him in the sense of wanting to know, you know why, why things turn out the way that they did and perhaps mm -hmm. he can explain to you. And maybe if he does explain to you, you will understand better. Or you will have some idea maybe what has gone uh, through he, what has gone on in his life. Um, so the laws are quite clear that you cannot get married without a wali. Right? You need a wali. So you need his permission so to say, your, your biological father. Um, but I think you you need to find a way that you are going to um, obviously handle the fact that he was never there and now you're going to require him to be your wali. You, you need to deal with that and handle that in a way that is suitable for you, for your feelings, but also suitable in implementing what, what the Sharia wants us to implement. Mm -hmm. Okay, So that would be somewhat of a balance between all of this. Um, uh, and I want to say to her, don't, don't, don't shut him out completely. Mm -hmm. Because we, we, we never know what circumstances uh, people are in. We never know why they do what they do. Mm. You know, and sometimes we may uncover things that we were not aware. So all, all that I'm saying is at least explore all these possibilities before you're just shutting him out or just wanting to get married without him. And so at least explore the, the different avenues that are available or that are possible at least before you go into this decision of just getting married without having him present um, on that particular day I, I always feel for um, either the male or the female When there is an issue with regards to um, Not knowing their parents Especially the father And for the girl I think That's never known a father mm. And it's always such a tricky and sensitive issue and topic to find out who your parents are or to find out who your dad is and and especially in islam needing you know his permission or um needing him to represent you mm. in that way for marriage mm. um it, it, it is very sensitive yeah definitely definitely that's why i like to sort of look at it from all the angles mm. and not just say that because while the hadith is clear you know you cannot get married without a wali yes while that is quite clear do we now say 
that that is implemented whether the wali was actually never there or whether he never played a role do we just ignore all of that and say he's still the wali mm. or do we try to deal with the thing mm. deal with the situation and yes uh, the deen tells us also that the wali although he is the guardian it is it is a responsibility that he has it's not a ceremonial thing mm. Because this is unfortunately also what it is. Some some think it's a ceremonial thing, you know. Mm. And and some of these fathers that had literally thrown their children away, mm. they would kind of use that as a pawn, you know. Yes. So you won't get married unless I, I say so. so. Yeah. Even though I was never there for you, even though I, I don't even know who you are. So but I've I've heard also as well if if a father, um, kind of throws away his um his responsibility of a child like never nafakaza or, or never give, he actually is throwing his right away as a wali. I don't know. I've I've heard that somewhere. Yes, yes, is, that is, is it that true? is that is quite true. That is she quite can true. ask somebody else to become absolutely, a wali. Absolutely, absolutely, that is quite true because the fact is that the the word wali, uh, though it is a legal guardian. It is qualified. I mean, it's uh, in certain ahadith it says wali adil. It must be a guardian that is just, you know, that mm. is fair, that knows his duties and responsibilities. So if he if he does not carry out those responsibilities, then yes, he may even lose that right. It's quite possible. Okay. But what I'm saying is that yes, we don't want to look at the things superficially. Yes. Just to say, well, he's the wali, no matter what comes, mm. no matter what he did in his lifetime, no matter what he is now. And at the same time, we don't also want to say to the daughter, you know, just do your own thing and just forsake, you know, what, what the wali's position should be. So I guess I'm somewhere in between there mm. where we want to try and make all parties understand that, yes, they need to speak and they need to discuss things and they need to come to the bottom of things. And that is always the way forward. Because you don't also just want to throw away relationships, exactly. not knowing what both parties yeah, are. Yeah, and sometimes we, we, because of emotion and that, we, we would like to rather just forget about it, you know, just write it off. Mm. But yeah. it's not healthy. It's not healthy because mm. at the end of the day, you're going to live with that conscience, you know. You're always going to live with that feeling that what if, you know. Still your least, father, yeah. Still, still your father. Yeah. I wonder how he must be feeling. Whatever the case is. True. And we may not always know the full truth either, mm. what has transpired. So the best thing is for them to, to speak about it. And here the father should allow her to express her emotions. And he should allow to respond. Uh, he should allow himself to respond honestly to mm. her. And then hopefully they can come to some kind of understanding how... Um, you know, to go forward in terms of the marriage uh, proceedings. All the best to those individuals there, inshallah. We'll take a break and come back with your questions after this. Stay one. The Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM Serial. My radio station, your radio station. Our radio station, the voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Very good evening. Just a few minutes left for our last few questions. Um, and inshallah we'll get through it. Uh, please do send your SMSs on 47913. Our lines are still open. And you can direct any questions as well to our producer um, during office hours at reception. So the next question is Sheikh. Assalamu alaikum. Questions on Hajj and Umrah have been asked previously, yet there's still an uncertainty due to different opinions. Many people say that you must go for Umrah first. Others say you can enter with an Umrah, then stay for Hajj. What is the correct uh, Shafi uh, ruling? ruling? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. The the question refers to perhaps uh, what the legal ruling is of Hajj and Umrah. Um, should both be performed? Is both obligatory? Is both fard? Um, uh, or is one fard and one sunnah, mm. etc.? The, the Shafi ruling is that uh, both the Hajj and the Umrah are both acts of ibadah that are obligatory. Okay, so a person, a person, if he can afford it, must at least once in his lifetime perform the Hajj, and he must at least once in his lifetime perform the Umrah. Okay, both of it is fard and compulsory. This is the view of the Shafi'is. Mm-hmm. And they take it from Surah Al-Baqarah where Allah says, وَأَتِمُّ الْحَجَّ وَالْعُمْرَةَ لِلَّهِ And complete the Hajj and the Umrah for the sake of Allah. Okay. okay. So the Hajj is compulsory as well as the Umrah. So now, secondly, 
uh, how how should it perform? Umrah first, Hajj first, together. Hmm. There's no set ways that it must be done one first or the other, as long as you make sure that at least in your lifetime, if you are able to afford it, that you're going to perform once Hajj and once Umrah. Hmm. So how are you going to do it? I think most people, what they do is, because it's, it's quite expensive to, to travel and so on, so they make Niyyah and they go for Hajj and Umrah at the same time. Yes. Okay. And normally, um, now when you go for Hajj classes, they will tell you now again that when you do that, there is a number of ways that you can perform your Hajj. Hmm. Okay. So either you're going to come in with an Umrah. When you come for Hajj, you come in with an Umrah. Then when the days of Hajj come, you go into Ihram a second time and then you perform your Hajj. This is the way most Cape Townians do it. They do go in with the Umrah and then they do the Hajj. So if they do it in that way, then it means they've completed the Umrah and the Hajj. Okay. All right. If you travel closer to the time, some people may opt not to go in with the Umrah, but to actually go into Ihram straight for Hajj. Okay. So when they are in Ihram and they enter Makkah, they are actually in Ihram for Hajj. Hmm. And this only happens if you are close to the time. Because you're not going to be too long into ihram. So that is a different type of hajj also. We call that ifrad. So you only do hajj. So what will happen with that uh, person is once he or she has completed the hajj, all the rituals, then they will release themselves from ihram, obviously. They will go into normal mode. Mm -hmm. Then while they are still in Makkah, they can then perform umrah. They can then go out to the nearest border and perform umrah. Mm -hmm. So in that case, they made the hajj first and then the umrah second. And that is also permissible. Okay, um, so of course there's a third method of Hajj as well, and the third method of Hajj is to actually make niyyah for Hajj and Umrah all in one, where you come in with one ihram and you actually do only one tawaf and one sa'i that is for the niyyah both of Hajj and Umrah. Okay, okay that's another method. Mm. So in terms of our situation here, most of our people we normally don't go as um, as close to the time. We normally go a month before. Yes. So people go in with the Umrah. So then the Umrah is, is handled. And then afterwards they wait for the days of Hajj. They then perform the Hajj. And that means they've got both Ibadahs, Umrah and Hajj on that one particular trip. Okay. Okay. So that is what is required. You must at least do Hajj once. You must mm. do Umrah once in your lifetime. Everything else after that will be voluntary, will mm. be extra. Okay. So if a person, let's say a person did perform Umrah only, that was his first experience, only Umrah. Because it wasn't Hajj time. So you go for Umrah, so at least you've done the obligation of Umrah. So now you come home and you plan for Hajj. So if you go back Hajj uh, for Hajj, you now have the option of either going close to the time where you only perform Hajj and you don't have to do Umrah again, hmm. or you can repeat another Umrah, second Umrah, and then perform Hajj with that Umrah that you've performed. So there should be no confusion, although the questions they say there's many opinions and there's hmm. confusion. The bottom line is you must perform Umrah once in your lifetime, you must perform Hajj one in, once in your lifetime, and however you do that, at whatever time you do that, that will all be okay um, following the different methods of Hajj that I just mentioned. As long as you do it within that framework, it is absolutely uh, acceptable uh, to do it, uh, inshallah. Shukran, Sheikh, and that brings us to the end of this edition of Questions and Answers. Jazakallah khair to you for listening, staying tuned and being patient as we get through your questions. Please do accept apologies for those questions that come through this week. We will deal it in the weeks, deal with it in the weeks to follow as Sheikh takes his time and gives a detailed answer to all the questions, inshallah. Sheikh? Jazakumullah khairan to you also, Sister Hawa, and to all our listeners. Inshallah, until we meet again, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to you too.